Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new podcast called Unbeatable. My name is Jeff Struker, and I am so thrilled to be able to bring this podcast to you. We're going to talk over these episodes with incredible men and women that have great stories, stories about how life has really hit them hard and thrown some tough punches their way, and they've been able to get up and to dust themselves off and been able to get back in there and have proved that no matter how hard the circumstances get, they are unbeatable. I've been working hard to prepare some guests for this podcast. I can't wait into, in just a few moments to introduce you to my first guest on this first episode. But before we get into the guest and before I introduce Kenny Thomas to you, I want to spend a few moments just talking about this podcast title for a second. You see, the whole idea behind this title is that all of us are going to go through some difficult times in life. I like to use this language that life can be unmerciful and sometimes it hits hard and it feels like there's no mercy. And when life gets tough and when it hits hard, this podcast is designed to encourage you. When life becomes unmerciful, I want you to become unbeatable. And unbeatable means that you're going to get knocked down and you're going to get scuffed up a little bit along the way. But when that happens, you're going to get up and you're going to dust yourself off and you're going to get right back in there and not let circumstances beat you. In fact, you won't find this word anywhere in the the former speech, but I have based the title of this podcast on a quote. I'm a connoisseur of quotes, I guess you could say. I love quotes. I collect quotes. I long for and look for great quotes. And one of my favorite quotes of all times comes from a U.S. president back in the 19th century, back in the late, at the end of the 1800s. Theodore Roosevelt, after leaving office, went out and did some big game hunting in Africa. He explored a uncharted part of the Amazon rainforest. Literally, there's a river in the Amazon rainforest named for President Roosevelt, who almost lost his life charting un- unknown territory after leaving office as the president of the United States. I'm saying he wasn't playing golf. He was going out and, and conquering the world. And a few years after leaving office, he was invited to France to give a speech. Now, Roosevelt could speak. Roosevelt was a guy who could talk for endless hours. In France, April 23rd, 1910, Roosevelt was invited to give a speech. This speech was kind of um, the standard fare for Roosevelt. It was something that you would expect out of Roosevelt. But right in the middle of that speech, he gave a quote which has lived on long after this speech was ignored and forgotten. In fact, the quote in the middle has become a you know, a standard all on its own. It's often referred to as President Theodore Roosevelt's Man in the Arena quote. And the title podcast, the title of this podcast, Unbeatable, is based on Roosevelt's language. And this Man 
in the arena quote. I'm going to read this quote for you, and then I'm going to explain to you why you need to hear these stories of unbeatable men and women from time to time. Listen to what Roosevelt said, April 23rd, 1910 in Paris, France, when he was delivering a speech, the title of the speech is Citizenship in a Republic. And in the middle of that speech, President Theodore Roosevelt said this. He said, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. If you pause for just a second, Roosevelt says, you're going to stumble. Even the strongest men and women stumble. That's a given that you're going to stumble and you're probably going to fall down and you're going to scrape up your knee a time or two. And Roosevelt starts this quote with people are going to criticize you. They're going to critique you when you fall down. They may even sit back and snicker and laugh at you when you fall down. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit, according to Theodore Roosevelt, belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. Now listen to Roosevelt's language next. I love this guy whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly and who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly so that his place or her place, I want to add, shall never be with those cold, timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Roosevelt states explicitly, when you try hard, when you have dust and sweat and blood on you because you're in the arena of life and you're trying hard, you will err and you will come up short from time to time. Roosevelt says that's a given. That's how most people are going to find their limits. They're going to quit when they start to get that difficult, when life starts to become that difficult. But Roosevelt says, for those men and women that are unbeatable, they will keep going no matter how strenuous the task, no matter how difficult the circumstances. And Roosevelt says, those guys and gals, they have a different destiny than everybody else who throws in the towel and gives up when life gets difficult. Roosevelt says, their destiny will never be with the cold, timid souls who don't know victory or defeat because they just simply quit along the way. This podcast called Unbeatable is designed to help you handle the stress and the shortcomings and the difficulties of life. And let me tell you why I feel like I really want to challenge you in this area. 
Because if you don't recognize my name from this podcast, why don't you go back and read the book or watch the movie Black Hawk Down? And you'll see a character in that movie. You'll read about me in the book Black Hawk Down. You'll see the actor in the movie who portrays me in the story Black Hawk Down. And I just want you to know that those circumstances showed me just how tough life can get. There was not one moment, but there were multiple times during that big 18-hour battle in 1993 in Mogadishu, Somalia, that became known as Black Hawk Down. Multiple times that I drove in and out of the city streets, leading rangers with me on Humvees that were shot to pieces, bullet holes from bumper to bumper. And everything inside of me wanted to stop. Everything inside of me wanted to quit. But my friends, my buddies were out in those city streets fighting for their life. And I knew that if I were to give up and if I were to quit, that it would cost some of my friends their lives. And so I had this choice to make when I was in Somalia. And make no mistake about it, I was overwhelmed by it far superior military force, far vastly outnumbered by a military force. I don't want you to think that those guys could fight better or had better technology, but they far outnumbered our little band of brothers in the city streets of Mogadishu. And when I was rolling back out into those city streets, I knew that I was rolling out into circumstances with just a handful of guys fighting thousands or tens of thousands of armed Somalis. And what caused me to roll back out in those streets again and again and again was the love of my brothers that were out there in those city streets. And I was just absolutely convinced or committed that I was not going to let this circumstance beat me. In other words, I was going to become unbeatable. And I've been thinking about and kind of putting together the details of a podcast just so that I can send you encouraging stories every week about guys and gals that have faced something incredible and have been able to go through it. And I want you to know that if they are able to go through these incredible circumstances, if I was able to go through these incredible circumstances, then you can be the kind of guy, the kind of gal that Theodore Roosevelt was describing when he talked about the man or I'm going to add the woman in the arena. But let's just face it. The world really, really doesn't need another podcast, does it? I mean, if you're sitting back and you're thinking to yourself, okay, Jeff, you got to be kidding me. There's podcasts everywhere that I look. Everybody has a podcast right now. Tell me, why on earth do we need another podcast? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. See, one of the things we're going to try to do each episode when I interview guests is do a little segment that I'm trying to call the high five. Now, the high five segment in these episodes are kind of like you and a buddy sitting down watching a ball game together. When something great happens, you lean over and you give them a high five. It's the way two people connect with each other. Well, this high five segment that we're going to do in each episode is designed so that you can get connected and just learn a little bit from the guest. It's also designed so that you would learn a little bit more about me. In fact, I'm going to try to connect with the guests. I'm going to give a high five. I'm going to ask them to give their top five on a thing. 
each week. And I want you to get to know me a little bit better. I want you to get to know the guests a little bit better. That's why we're calling this thing a high five. Imagine just reaching across the sofa at a great moment in a ball game and slapping high fives with a buddy. That's really what this high five segment is going to be. But in order to set this thing up, I want you to hear today for my first high five. This is my top five reasons why the world needs another podcast. And if you are aware of the podcasts that are popping up everywhere, you're probably thinking to yourself, Jeff, everyone has a podcast right now. Why on earth do we need another podcast? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because my high five segment for this first episode, this first part of this first episode, is to describe the top five reasons why the world needs another podcast, why the Unbeatable podcast is launching today. And number five on my top five reasons why the world needs another podcast is because I'm going to introduce you to people and you're going to hear stories that you will not hear on the nightly news. You're going to hear stories of guys and gals that have gone through incredible circumstances and who have been able to handle it and get up and become unbeatable. These are stories you wouldn't hear on the nightly news. Number four, on the top five reasons why the world needs another podcast? It's because I've been doing the market research and Google and Facebook just don't make enough money. So we will probably do a little bit of advertising on social media. And the reason why the world needs another podcast is just so that Google and Facebook can make a little bit more advertising dollars. Number three, on the list of reasons why the world needs another podcast is because when life gets really tough, it's natural. It's actually even a little bit dangerous to surround yourself with people who tell you only what you want to hear when life becomes unbeatable or when life becomes unmerciful. So number three on my list of reasons why the world needs another podcast is because these episodes are designed to tell you not just what you want to hear, but to also tell you what you need to hear. Again, when life becomes unmerciful and when you get punched in the face by circumstances, these episodes are designed to help you be unbeatable. Number two on the list is because I went out there looking at the random stuff that podcasts are about. And let's just be honest, there's just not enough random information out there. In fact, did you know that there's an, there is a podcast devoted just to the weird history of garden gnomes? Well, if we have an entire podcast to the weird history of garden gnomes, certainly there needs to be a podcast of guys and gals that have faced really tough stuff and have demonstrated that they're unbeatable. And number one on the list, and it's probably obvious to you already, just look at my face. I obviously don't have the kind of face that they're going to put on a TED Talk. So the reason why the world needs another podcast is because this face will never make a, pet, a TED Talk. It's probably better heard over the radio or watched while you're doing something else and just listening to the voice in the background. These are my top five reasons why the world needs another podcast. And I am thrilled 
to be able to introduce to you the first guest on the first episode of Unbeatable. This guest is my friend, Kenny Thomas. Now, I need you to understand that the first guest is kind of like the very first paratrooper out the door during a major airborne operation. It takes a lot of guts, a lot of courage to be the first guy out the door. Everybody else who follows after that first person, you're pretty much just following the leader. But the first person, this is the one that blazes the trail. Well, Kenny Thomas and I go back many years together. We served in the U.S. Army together. In fact, he and I were both rangers in the same unit at the same time. Let me tell you how I remember Kenny from being a young sergeant in the U.S. Army's Ranger Regiment. When it was early in the morning and we were running long miles on Fort Benning, Georgia, and in a formation calling military cadence, most guys could barely sing one, two, three, four to try to keep this unit in step running in army formations around an airfield in Fort Benning, Georgia. Well, Kenny Thomas was the kind of guy who didn't sing one, two, three, four. No, Kenny was singing Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry. And Kenny went from serving as a sergeant in the U.S. Army to singing with some of the biggest names in country music in Nashville, Tennessee. I am thrilled to be able to introduce you to the number one jumper out the door, my friend, Kenny Thomas. Kenny, thank you so much for being my first official guest on this brand new podcast called Unbeatable. Uh, man, it's great to see you. Yeah, that's called a point, man. He, he was always the first guy to get shot. That's so right. I'm, 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 I'm good, man. Yeah. Put me out there, Jeff. Thank you for putting yourself out there and being the point man for this uh, yeah, podcast. Hey, so what yeah. we're going to do over the next few moments is we're just going to go reminisce. I'm going to go back down memory lane with you, and I'm using some um, music terms today. But I want to make sure that everybody who watches this or tunes in online gets to know you a little bit. So let's talk about you as a child. And when did you learn to um, start playing some instruments? What was the first instrument you picked up? When did you start playing? Yeah, for... Um... Well, the way I explain it, music's a disease that you got born with. And it's just since from whenever I can remember, I've always been either in a choir or a band or just always been singing and playing something. And I, what I tell parents, so they'll ask me, hey, my, my kid's interested in what should I do? And I'm like, you know, you don't have to tell a musician to go pick up an instrument. They're going to do it. Right. I, and I can't tell you how many hotels... Uh, hotel pianos I've been kicked off of because you just kind of drift over there and start playing. Uh, excuse me, sir. Uh, we're not allowed to, no one's allowed to tell why is it here? And, and so I, I've just always since, since I can remember, I mean, I had the, I had the band, I had a band when I was in the army with you. I, yeah. I still was playing music. It's just something you just, you can't not do. So for the listeners, I want to make sure that you heard Kenny was that nine-year-old kid playing the piano in the lobby of the hotel that everybody was like, who let that kid get on the piano? <laughs> where's his, where's his, where's his parents? Right. You know, my, yeah. Sorry, my mom's got three jobs and she's trying to hold it down. She just said, do the best you can. Right. <laughs> well, when did it start to become serious for you? When did you start to say, man, I think I'd like to do something musically. 
Mm, I think in Columbus, Georgia, where, where the, the cornbread got to be kind of a big fish in a little pond. I, and I, I don't know how much it's changed for y'all over there now, but remember remember how it used to be there were Buddy Nelms, who, who owned mm-hmm. the loft downtown, he, he put on two music festivals that would happen. You had... Riverfest, and and that was in the springtime, and then the fall Riverfest, which was in the fall. And you only had two acts that would come. You would have either classic rock or country. And I remember the one time where we finally got to play on the big stage, and Buddy said to me, he said, hey, what do you want to do? you want to do Friday night or Saturday night? And I'm like, well, who's playing Saturday night? Or who is it? And he says, well, Friday night, we got Blue Oyster Cult. And I'm like, I don't. I like Go Go Godzilla, but I don't think that we're going to fit with that one. And I go, who's the Saturday night act? He goes, he goes, Toby Keith. I'm like, Toby Keith, who's that? He's like, he's a country guy. I'm like, all right, well, we'll do that. And we, we, we sold 98 CDs that night. I'm like, we're country. And that's, that's kind of how that awesome. was our big, where I started figuring things could start happening. And, uh, I just, you know, I had that drive, the, the, that there's always somebody in that in the band that has to have that yeah. that okay here's what we got to do we got to get out and get it done and just you know i remember it was an exciting time we were selling a lot of cds and the radio station in town started playing one of our songs and and it's all of a sudden you start getting phone calls uh from record labels because somebody who was respected in the world of music mm-hmm. wrote a little write-up about hey check out uh, this band Cornbread in Columbus, Georgia, they're making some, they're making some noise. And then all of a sudden you start getting calls. I remember one time, Jeff, I got a call. It, it was like this one week and all the phone calls started coming in. And the one guy goes, Hey, um, this is William from so, so deaf. I'm like, so, so like up in Atlanta, the rap, what rap label? He goes, yeah. He goes, could you send me a package? And I'm like, William, do you know what we do? Like what country? <laughs> oh, well, I'm just the intern. You need to send one anyway. So, you know, it's like, and then, and then it just, it kind of shotgun blasted. And then that led me up to Nashville. And um, once I started going to Nashville, it started working. Yeah. I just, yeah. Man, I'm that's getting, when it first started. I'm getting a middle image of you with dreadlocks doing reggae for So So Death. Man, that would have yeah. been awesome. I was trying. It would have been epic. Yeah. Yeah. And getting, by man. the way, I just want to go on record as saying I love some go go Godzilla as well. Um, nobody can hit the um, cowbell like Blue Oyster Colt can. So I think you made the right choice. I did make the right choice that night. I think so. Uh, yeah, so- it's funny. And, and Columbus doing all those music festivals with Buddy, um, stage managing and running the sound yeah. and, and running, uh, being a part of that really got me understanding the music business and the road so that when I did get to Nashville and I hit it at a pro level, I kind of had a good, I had a lot of experience uh, more so than most. So I didn't have to just wait around for someone to show me how to do all that. Sure. Yeah. You definitely learned by uh, doing on the job training, some trial by fire there. So we're, we're experimenting with an, uh, a little segment where our listeners will get a chance to get to know you a little bit better. And because you're a musician, I want to make sure that everybody gets to know your musical tastes. I just switched from Spotify to Apple music, been a Spotify guy for a long time. Um, and now I have to go back and recreate all of these playlists. So I have to go back and think, well, who are some of my favorite all time musicians? So I'm calling this segment, the high five. This is like David Letterman style counting down from number five to number one, 
your top five musicians of all time. Now, I had to think yeah. about this before we started this interview, Kenny. And I had to think, if I were to list my top five musicians of all time, who would they be? I'm going to tell you my top five, and then I want you to tell me what your top five musicians all right. of all time are. Okay, so number five on my list, without a question, is Kenny Thomas. He's he, He's got to be up there as number five. Hey, you made the list, man. Good job. You know what, Jeff? That just shows good taste. Yes, I'm, that's right. Just, just great yeah. musical musical taste, right? There you go. And right <laughs> behind, or you're, just so that you know, you're number five, so you made the list, but you just come in right behind one of my favorite blues guitarists of all time, a guy by the name of Stevie Ray Vaughan. So you're just yeah. neck and neck behind him. Yeah. But when I start thinking he's, about who He's I'm, a little bit better guitar player yeah. than I am, just, a little. So I, I think, okay, so who would be number three on this list? And I'm trying to think of a guy whose musical taste could unite the world. And it's got to be Ted Theodore Logan. Nobody can play like Ted from Bill and Ted. Mm. All right. So I'm a classical, I'm a fan of classical music. I love me some George Gershwin. Didn't because, see that coming. Yeah. <laughs> gotta admit. Gershwin can just hit a note and he's got you from the first note, especially Rhapsody in Blue. But mm. now I get to number one on my list and man, I really struggled with this one. I'm thinking it's gotta be the Beatles, right? Wait, if it's not the Beatles, then maybe it's Johann Sebastian Bach, just because his music has been around for centuries. Wait, who else could hold their own with the Beatles and Johann Sebastian Bach? Well, of course, Britney Spears. But no, none of those fit. So for me, number one on the list of top five musicians of all time is Otis Redding, a guy oh, who can wow. sit on the dock of the bay and with one word hold you in the palm of his hand to the last note of the song. Otis is my number one in my high five. How about you, Kenny? What's your high five top five musicians of all time? Otis Redding. That's a good one. I, uh, yeah. My, mine's easy because I've been asked this question a bunch and I, I kind of already know there's so the top five. I grew up in Gainesville, Florida, and Tom Petty was one of the first people I actually got to see live. And I saw him at this little club because, you know, back then the drinking age in Gainesville was 19. And so you could look 12 and walk into a bar and they didn't care back then. So I went in this place. It was this club that he was. Uh, the Stray Cats were playing, and he jumped up on the stage with them. Wow. And I was like, yeah, you know, I think I was like 17, 16, and, and he just kind of owned the stage. He did a couple cover songs with them, and I went, I want to be like that guy. And then, and then he, got, he got big, and the way that he tells stories and very yeah. simple songs, but the simplicity of it's genius. Um, the Eagles would be the second one uh, because of their harmonies. It would just always seem like that's the way a band should sound. So Tom Petty, the Eagles. Then musically, uh, I learned to play the piano uh, by, there was an Elton John book in a, that was sitting there at the sorority that I was working at in college. And I could play a little bit of piano for that, but I didn't really. So I found this Elton John book and just started learning all of his songs. And they're so ridiculously complicated in the chord progressions. And so I came, became a fan of how he musically moves music. And then um, in the first song that I ever sang in church, I had a choir director call me up and she said, 
hey, Kenny, I was in high school. I was at, had a band. And she's like, hey, we got this, we, we got this band, a uh, bunch of kids. That, and we heard that, you know, you do singing and we'd like you to come sing at, Tr- at Trinity. And I goes, I, I don't really sing in church. It was one of the very first albums. The second album I ever owned was Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life. And I just, when you know, when you're a kid, you just play the album. So for those of you who don't know, an album is shaped like a CD and it has music on both sides. So you could flip it over and you would put a little needle on it and it would play. And I had a record player in my room. I just sit there and listen to Stevie Wonder over and over and over again. And uh, so that's the four. And then the fifth one is is my choir director and she really wasn't i'd say more like the band leader she was the youth counselor band leader and her job was just to get kids and long before bands were were accepted in a church jeff she was doing it really and it was really just to get kids into the church uh and get them involved and her name was rebecca at rebecca brown and so and she taught me everything I know about musical theory and how to put songs together. And and what it did is it gave me that purpose that music, when they hand you the microphone, you can sing songs like Mexico and have fun, but at some point you you need to be able to sing songs with purpose. And we were picking stuff off the radio because they didn't have Christian radio at the time. You know, Amy Grant was your only choice. And so we were doing things like uh, On the Turning Away by Pink Floyd yeah. or, um, you know, uh, Mike and the Mechanics. And what was that? Every generation blames the one before. And we were just doing popular songs that meant something. Yeah. So that kind of planted, sowed that seed for the songs that I like. Awesome. Hey, let me go a back. Long, 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 long explanation no, for five, hey, five so artists. Let's go back to number three because I think I missed it. There was a little internet uh, hiccup. Tell me number three on your list. So I said Tom Petty, Jackson Brown. There was. Um, oh, you said the Eagles, then Jackson Brown. Cor- correct. All right. Eagles, Stevie then, Wonder. Well, Jackson Brown and Elton John were the two. So Jackson yeah. Brown was, I wanted to sing like him, but there was an Elton John songbook in this in the sorority where I worked and I learned to play piano by just looking, I I can't, I can't read music. I still can't read music. And I sat and looked at these chords and went, okay, I know how the song goes. And so that's how I learned. That's how I became a piano songwriter was because of those two. Yeah. I, I can't let this go. You said it twice. Now you worked at a sorority while you were in college. Hell you yeah, got to tell me how that went. <laughs> it's well. Here's what here's what I tell people: you got disenchanted very quickly with 120 girls eating lunch and dinner every day. So <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that was our. They, they the sororities all had bus boys. So the the beauty of it is you came and you could have lunch. You got to eat lunch, and then you would, uh, you know, you'd clean up and serve uh-huh. the dinners, and it it wasn't yeah. as great as it sounded. I get it. Sure. All right. So um, now we're going to get into some of the heart of the what it took for you to become a musician. And, and I said during the intro, uh, if you didn't recognize this, Kenny and I spent some time together in the army. I love this guy like a brother. And I'll never forget running around the airfield on Fort Benning, Georgia with him 
while he's singing army cadence, but he's not singing the standard army cadence. This guy's singing Johnny be good. And I'm like, <sighs> who on earth can pull off Chuck Berry in army yeah. cadence style. So Kenny, I, I gotta, I gotta tell you, tell uh, the listeners, that. how does it go from Johnny be good cadence in the army to singing with some of the biggest names in Nashville music kind of explain how this thing went from the army to Nashville. Yeah, that was easy. You just handed in your weapon and, and then they, the arms guy issued me a guitar yeah. and then I'm like, okay, okay, I'll see you. <laughs> well, you know, uh, the, an M4 and a Gibson, uh, 280 both have working ends <laughs> so they uh, you know it was where you point it and what you do with it but yeah i love that you remember that that was um, oh man i'll never forget it that was a lot of fun yeah yeah i do remember singing johnny be good you know you because you'd run around thinking about songs that were in that four four cadence you know like i get was tired not of singing about, about a four, c130 cadence. i was thinking about <laughs> trying not to cough up a lung over the next mile <laughs> Oh no, you were the guy making people cough up. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't be, don't be, don't be, uh, be bashful about that one. Well, look, just in case anybody doesn't know, there were like three guys in the Ranger Battalion that could run like sub five minute miles. And Doug, uh, uh, Doug Bourne was one of them, and Jeff was one of them. And there was that other kid from Charlie Company yeah. that could yeah. just, he was like collegiate level. Yeah. And, Nobody wanted to see Jeff Struker get out there and lead the the company run because he was you, you were too fast. Well, I've slowed hey, down considerably. Slow down, Struker. Right? Yeah. Well, you made yep. a pretty courageous decision. You you had it. You were really really successful in the army, and frankly, did some things that a lot of people will never even get the chance to do in the army, and you did it well. But at some point you decided, I'm going to take the uniform off and I'm really going to pursue a career in music. Talk about the decision just to leave the army and to start to get serious about music. Mm. I don't, I wish I could have come up with a really great transition for you, Jeff, and say why I left the army. Cause that's my short answer on a radio interview is generally, well, I had put in my flight packet. I was going to go, uh, I wanted to go to rotary school, rotary wing school and fly helicopters because you know, the, at the place that you and I were at, you really had two options. You, you could go to the dark side, mm -hmm. you go over or you could go fly helicopters for the dark side. And I had always, I came into the army to fly to begin with and didn't, I had to go on a waiting list. And that's when, that's why I ended up in the Rangers and um, the, so I, I would have my flight packet in and then the band just started doing really well. Yeah. And that was, um, I was, um, you know, my heart and my headspace were not right uh, around 97, you know, three years after you and I were in Mogadishu. And I just, I realized that I was hanging around, uh, in all honesty, I realized I was hanging around the army just waiting to go back to combat. Like, yeah. because I just didn't, I, there was this weird void. Uh, I didn't, and it had a lot to do with where my walk wasn't with God mm -hmm. and where my headspace was at. But I'm like, the music was an, a, a fantastic transition for me because it enabled me to move straight to something I was passionate about and more. And, and I think the, the, the hundreds of hours of counseling <laughs> that I've done to come to realize it is that when I went to music, Jeff, it was a safe place for me yeah. because I owned the stage. 
but I can walk up on the stage, I own that time, and then I could sing my songs and say thank you. I could go do the meet and greets, and then I could disappear. It, it, and it, but it was my choice as to how I interacted with people, and the stage was a comfortable place for me. Yeah. And it was um, that that worked for a little while, but that's how I made the transition. It was enough to get me motivated, and uh, and started making that drive from Columbus to Nashville, like twice or three times a week, just to write with people. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of the end. You start writing good songs with really good songwriters. And then they, uh, like Billy Montana, you guys have mm -hmm. met him. And Billy was one of the first people I wrote with. And then they start introducing you to folks and then they start sending you around. And all of a sudden you're sitting there at Cracker Barrel one day in Nashville and they, the Brent and Diana who mm -hmm. own a publishing company, we want to give you a publishing deal. And, I, and I'm like, I, what does that mean? Well, we want you to write songs for us and we're going to pay you to do it. Wow, sold. Wow. Where do I sign? Yeah. You know, it's like, it was a, it was just a great transition for me. Yeah. Well, you had to have had some goals when you started making the drive up to Nashville. What were they? Do you remember? I do. Uh, it was, and it was basically to, uh, to not suck. Like, <laughs> and that's, that's my advice to people. You, the doors are good. The opportunities are going to open for you. They, they will. Um, people always like, when was your big break? Well, it's it's a series of big breaks. It's a series of dots that that God lines up, and you bounce from dot to dot to dot. But those doors won't open if you don't bring your A game, right? And because it, it's important. And my my goal was to prove to myself that I had what it takes to play in that arena and to play in that league. And, and I did, and I do, I still do it. And it's, um, that's just always been my goal was to, to write songs that were worthy of that level of pro. Yeah. Kenny, when I mentioned you as one of my top five musicians, I really meant it because you really, really pour yourself into your trade and you don't take it for granted. And I, I really want the listeners that are watching this to to pick up on that. Um, a lot of people think, hey, I have this one shot Eminem style, and I'm going to blow it out in that one shot. And then after that, I'm going to reach stardom in music, in the music industry. But it sounds like what you're saying is no, I worked my butt off for years. And I kept yeah. working my butt off. And that one break didn't really happen. It was a series of working your butt off time and time again. And then pretty soon, a, 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 some momentum began. Is that is that accurate? Right. A momentum is a good word. And the way that I would always describe it to folks, I remember back in the day, I would describe it to them as it's a road march. There, uh, and there's there's waypoints that, and there's so many, like I when I got there, I started figuring out, now I know why so many artists thank their fans repeatedly yeah. because it, it blows your mind that these people like love what you do because yesterday you didn't, they didn't care. They didn't know who Kenny Thomas was. Now you got a song on the radio and all of a sudden they're, they're driving from Ohio to your show in Louisiana. And, and it, it was very humbling. And then there's, there's a series of teams that you have to surround yourself with, which is, 
You have a record label team. You have a team that takes your songs to radio. You have a team that helps you write, that gets you hooked up with good songwriters. You have a road team. You have all these different teams of people. And if they're not, if they're not passionate about what you're doing and who you are, you're not getting anywhere because you have to have it. And so it was a, it was a lesson in working your butt off and then embracing other people and lifting them up because the the more you could lift them up, the more successful you would be. If if that makes sense. And that's, I want the, example. Yeah, I want the listener who's tuning into this who thinks, hey, I would really love to be able to make it in the music industry one day to hear what you what Kenny just said. Um, it's a lot of really hard work day in and day out, giving it your best and not letting up that eventually leads to you being um, the guy who's asked to do the national anthem for the New York Yankees. But it doesn't happen overnight. It's years of relentless hard work. Yeah, agreed. I got one or two but, more. But then when, so the, so the Yankee thing was an interesting one. So I had been doing a, a military appreciation day for the Yankees for a while, just because of the, the work that I was doing with the Special Operations mm-hmm. Warrior Foundation. And then uh, Hal Steinbrenner was on the board of the Warrior Foundation. And I did some silly little event one night uh, in, down in Tampa for the Warrior Foundation. And Hal Steinbrenner was in the audience and he comes, I know who he was. He comes up and he goes, because man, that was really good. You should sing the anthem for the Yankees someday. I'm like, yeah, I should. That's funny. And then, <laughs> and then like a year later, I get invited. And I did that for almost eight years. Yeah. Went up there once a year, sang the anthem. And then one day, the Yankees make the World Series. And I, I, was, I remember where I was in aisle five of the Home Depot. And they called me up. And I said, hey, guys, what's going on? And he says, hey, man we want you to sing the national or God bless America for the world series game. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Absolutely. And so I, I get to this, I land at the airport in New York on the day of the first game of world series. And Craig from the Yankees calls me up and he goes, Hey, are you here yet? I go, I am here yet. He goes, come straight to the stadium. I'm like, okay. And so what ended up happening, it was raining and Jay-Z and Alicia Keys were slotted to do New York, New York, and Alicia mm-hmm. was going to sing the national anthem, but they couldn't set up all the rigging because of the rain. And so the Yankees went to Fox and were like, hey, we got our guy. He's really good. <laughs> and so I had to stand there in the rain and sing for Fox. And they were like, yeah, that's great. And bam, now you're singing for the World Series yeah. on national TV. Yeah. And I still remember the, I still remember the camera guy who had filmed me in the rain for sort of the tryout that morning when the, um, when they introduced me on, on, on the, on the TV and they go, now to sing the national anthem, please welcome Kenny Thomas. And the camera guy goes, don't suck. <laughs> and you said, I've been working on that for 20 years, <laughs> man. I got this one. Yeah. I got it, brother. Don't worry. Yep. Thanks for the word of encouragement. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hey, I'm going to let you go because I know you got other stuff to do. Thank you for being part of this. But I want to kind of, I want to ask you, would you leave the viewers, the listeners with some thoughts? Let's say that there's a guy or a gal out there who's saying, man, I really want to pursue a music career, but I don't know if I've got what it takes. What advice would you give them? Yeah, I, I want to address the, the title of your, your, this show, the unbeatable part and whether it's the music world 
or whatever your dream may be, whatever it is that you're out there trying to get, it it's going to, you know, you're going to run into obstacles and we're going to, you know, for us, you know, we got that call, Hey, a black Hawk's going down, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, you know, you're, you get the phone call, dad's in the hospital and you need to get here now, or God forbid something happens to our kids or COVID hits and your dreams are going to get derailed. And you're going to be standing there saying the same thing that you and I were saying, which was, man, I, I, I can't believe that this is happening because you've, it's not supposed to happen this way. And the unbeatable part of it comes in, if that's your headspace, I don't tell people, I, I can't give you advice on what to do in those moments. All I can ask you to do is like, who do you want to be right. in that moment? Do you want to be the person who, who drives on, who will find another way? I'll, okay. And, and deals with the situation in the moment. And that becomes that person who, who serves others and is part of the solutions and, and then you're, then it, then it follows your dreams will follow with you. But who do you want to be when it, when the suck kicks in? Right. Right. And good Lord, the, 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 our biblical stories that we've all learned and that you're out there trying to teach them all, Jeff is, is full of people whose dreams got, or life plans got derailed. And they're like, I, I, I don't really, I don't want to do it this way and I can't do this. Uh, yeah. That's not, it's not what I'm asking. <laughs> so, and, all, but all those people stepped up. So the unbeatable part of it, that's, that's my advice. You just keep pushing, keep driving. And sooner or later you will end up where you're supposed to be. And if most people have no idea how close they were right. when they gave up, Wow, that's so true, man. I hope everybody who's listening and hears what he just said. You may have been inches away from crossing the threshold that you've been dreaming about right before you gave up. Yeah. Yep. Kenny, I want to... Remember I, that NCO, Jeff, that would say that to us? He'd be like, uh, I remember I remember there was a guy uh, in, it was in ranger school, and there was a kid who was falling out on just the road march yeah. part of it. And he goes, you can get on the truck, and you can <laughs> say you almost made it. That's right. Yeah. You can say you almost made it or you can keep driving. That's right. Or you can get up and dust yourself off and be unbeatable. Be unbeatable. There you go. Kenny, thank you for being the point uh, man for this podcast. And I also just want to tell you, man, not just thank you for being my friend, but thank you for being who you are, not just doing what you do with a guitar and a piano, but thank you for who you are, man. Proud well, to call me you too, my, buddy. My I, I think the good thing about what you and I've got going for us is that by this point, we've figured out let's use our superpowers for some good. Right. So uh, I'm proud of you. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks, man. Thanks for being on the show. Hey, gang, you heard some great advice from Kenny Thomas today when your dreams are being derailed. Are you going to be the kind of person that just is overwhelmed by the circumstances? You curl up in a ball and you don't know how to respond next? Or are you going to get up, dust yourself off, and be unbeatable. By the way, you can follow this podcast on social media everywhere. Just go to at Unbeatable Podcast. And also, don't forget that you can join the Unbeatable Army by going to unbeatablearmy.com to join our email list. Thanks for joining us with this episode. When the stress is on and the pressure's high this week, don't forget, don't suck. See you next week.